This is the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore. Our topic today is women's rights leader Elizabeth Cady Stanton, a native of Johnstown, New York. We welcome Sandy Maseka uh, to the podcast. How are you doing, Sandy? Very well, thank you. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Sandy Maseka is vice president of the Elizabeth Cady Stanton Women's Consortium. Uh, this organization, I believe, is based in Johnstown. Uh, what does the organization do? We try to support Elizabeth Cady Stanton and what she believed in, and we have workshops. We do a symposium every other year in Johnstown that we invite lots of women to come, and we have speakers, an all-day event. This year we're planning to have one in 2020 in March. We're going to have the lady who, Kristen Visball, the lady who did the statue in New York City and Wall Street, is going to be our keynote speaker. Do you live in Johnstown yourself? I do with this point, yes. I grew up in Johnstown, and then okay. I was gone for like 40 years, and now I'm back. And, uh, of course, Elizabeth Cady Stanton grew up in Johnstown as well, but ended up living other places. She was born in 1815. Uh, died in 1902, uh, 18 years uh, before the passage of the amendment to the Constitution giving uh, women the right to vote, which was one of her causes, but not her only one. And maybe we'll get to uh, some of that in a moment. But Sandy has a specific reason for being on the Historian's uh, podcast. Uh, you have a major fundraiser underway to pay for a statue of Elizabeth Cady Stanton to be erected in uh, Johnstown. Where would the statue be? We plan to put the statue in the park in Johnstown. There's a bandstand and park in between the courthouse where she spent a lot of time and her house, which was on the corner of Market and Main. And she, it was a block apart and the park now is in between there. And she um, went back and forth frequently. So we're going to try to put the statue right in the middle of that spot. And she'll be sitting on a park bench and people can sit on the bench with her or take pictures with her or carry on a conversation with her. As you say, that was near her house and also near the courthouse. And her father uh, was an attorney. I mean, was that where his office was or that probably not? Or where was his? Because she spent a lot of time with him when she was growing up. Yes. her His office was in his house and he had a lot of young lawyers who came and studied with him. They didn't have law schools in those days. They spent time with lawyers and, and learned how to be lawyers. And so she sat in on a lot of the sessions and learned learned all these things that were going on that about women that she didn't believe in. Now, you're raising funds for the uh, statue, which will show Elizabeth Cady Stanton seated on a, on a bench. Who is the artist, and can you uh, tell us how you uh, found him and so forth? Matt. I think it's Matt Glenn. That's it, Matt Glenn. And he's from Utah, Provo, Utah. Um, we found him on the internet, actually. Um, we've been looking for we've been looking for a sculptor for several years because we've wanted to put a statue up for several years. And we finally found this man and he has his work looks he does work in New Hampshire, he does work all over the country and his statues he had a couple of statues of people sitting on park benches and I thought that would be a wonderful statue that um, people could look at. And I mentioned that you're raising funds. How much do you need to raise? We need to raise seventy five thousand dollars, which is quite reasonable for a statue. Most of them are a half a million dollars and um, or at least 
at least more than $100,000. We've raised, so far, we've raised about $40,000. So we, we're, we're well on our way, and we're hoping to put the statue up in 2020, which is the anniversary of women getting the vote, which was Elizabeth's goal. You had other kind of anniversary years, um, but they've gone by and, and no statue. So maybe you f- figure this is their, your last best hope uh, for having the statue. We were thinking of doing it in 2015, yeah, 2015, which would would have been an anniversary, her birthday anniversary. And then we were trying for 2017, which was the year New York State got the vote, or 1917, 100 years after the New York State got the vote. But in 2020, the whole country, all women all over the country got the vote. And um, so this is our... This is the we're going to we're going to do it this year. Yeah, well, it sounds like you're quite determined, and you've now raised more than uh, than half of the money. Dare I ask? I mean, where does the money come from? Does it just come from uh, people in the area, or, or or from where? Yeah, so far it's come from people in the area. We have um, fun. I've been doing some fundraising. We have a letter we send out, and we have fundraising levels. The highest uh, five. Five thousand dollars and twenty dollars and twenty cents is is an Elizabeth Cady Stanton level, and you get a replica of the statue if you pay that amount of money. And then we have you can give twenty dollars and twenty cents or one hundred and twenty dollars and twenty cents. We're doing twenty twenty. Okay, I mean, is the twenty cents referred to the um, number of the amendment, or what? Why is the twenty cents? Well, because it's twenty twenty. The year that women, that this is the anniversary of women getting the vote, 2020. The so you want to put the 20 cents in there. How do you give or how can people make a donation or, well, make how can people make a donation? They can write, it, write out a check to the Elizabeth Cady Stanton Women's Consortium or ECSWC and send it to P.O. Box 251 in Johnstown, New York. One two zero nine five. Could you give the address one more time? ECSWC at PO Box two fifty one, Johnstown, New York one two zero nine five. And not to take away from this, but there are other statues that are either you were telling me that either have been erected or will be erected, or maybe just the one, and that's going to be in New York City with Elizabeth Cady Stanton and also Susan B. Anthony. Yes, in the, in Central Park. Yeah, there's a statue in Seneca Falls. There's a sta- there, there are statues around around the country, I guess. But in New York City, in Central Park, there are no women, female statues. They're all men. No, no women are 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 replicated in a statue in New York City. But they're going to have this one. There's one in Washington. They had had it out for a year, for a while when they first got it, and then they put it in the basement, I guess, of some building. And now they just brought <laughs> it back out again. I got confused when you're talking about no statues of women in New York City. I thought that's where there would be, or, or maybe it hasn't there yet, a, a statue of Elizabeth and Susan B. Anthony. Yes, there's one coming this year. Yeah, but it's not there yet, right? Right. We're talking with Sandy Maseka. She's the vice president of the Elizabeth Cady Stanton Women's Consortium, based in Johnstown, New York, the hometown of Elizabeth Cady Stanton. We'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to the Historian's Podcast. 
I'm Bob Cudmore. Want to put in a word for our own fundraising uh, effort on the Historian's Podcast. We have a GoFundMe campaign uh, underway. You can uh, make a donation by going to GoFundMe.com forward slash 2019 The Historians. Or if you'd rather send a check, you can make a check out to me, Bob Cudmore, and send to Bob Cudmore at 125 Horstman Drive in Scotia, New York, 12302. And thank you very much. We're talking about Elizabeth Cady Stanton, uh, the women's rights leader. Joining us is Sandy Maseka, vice president of the Elizabeth Cady Stanton Women's uh, Consortium uh, based in uh, Johnstown, New York. I've been uh, reading uh, just a bit about uh, Elizabeth uh, Cady Stanton, uh, Sandy. I, I was um, interested to read, or I guess what me I'd like to ask you about, about is her life in Johnstown. I mean, she was from, uh, I presume, a rather well-off uh, family. Her her father was a lawyer and a, and a judge, and it was a very big family. They had 11 children. She was the eighth of 11 children, it says here, but that many of those children died, uh, and only Elizabeth and four of her sisters, only five of the 11, uh, survived into adulthood and old age. And I, I read that this put a great strain on the on the family, both her mother and father. Yes, her her mother her mother grieved and and actually um, kind of became a recluse to, as as she got older. Um, her father was just heartbroken that he'd lost all his sons. Um, Elizabeth vowed that she would she would be she would take the place of one of the sons and she went she studied Greek. She went to the school. She was the only girl in the in some of the classes because they didn't accept girls. She tried to go to Union College but they wouldn't take her. So she went to Emma Willard. She she really tried and studied and um, wanted to replace her brothers, but her father never felt that he, you know, he really wanted a boy. And, and I believe he told her that specifically, or that's what I, I read in, in Wikipedia, honestly, that he said, oh, I wish you were a boy. He did. Mm. He wished he, I mean, her her, her old, oldest brother died when he was 20. I think he was in college and he came home and died when he was 20 years old. The, brother, the others didn't even make it to, to that age. I don't know. The girls lived, and I don't know what happened, why why all the boys boys didn't make it, but they didn't. Now, her reading of the uh, law books, I'm told, made her realize that women, especially married women, had virtually no property, income, employment, or even custody rights over their children, which kind of got her going on her career of being a crusader, if you will. Yes, once a woman could could have property, and when she was married, the property belonged to the man. And if if the man left her or died or whatever, it went to their eldest son. It never came back to her. And um, the lawyers used to tease her because she had a her, someone gave her a coral necklace which she really loved, and somebody said, "Now, now, if if you married me, that would be my coral necklace, and I could." I could trade it for a cigar and smoke it, and you'd never have the necklace again. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
And eventually, uh, she married a man named Henry Stanton, who was a lawyer and an abolitionist. And they both worked on that cause, you know, abolishing uh, slavery. Um, and at first, they, they came back to Johnstown to live, and Stanton uh, kind of worked with her father. Yes, because I think that's how he became a lawyer. He was not, I don't think when they got married, he was an abolitionist. I don't think he was a lawyer at that point. And then he came back and, and studied with her father and became a lawyer. I read, I don't know if this is a, a true anecdote or not, that when they married, uh, she struck the phrase obey out of the wedding vows. She did. She did. <laughs> she was very forward thinking. She she did and, did what she wanted. She was a very strong woman. Uh, and also, um, Elizabeth and uh, Henry, I think is his name, they had seven children, but they were planned, I, b I believe, that uh, Elizabeth um, you know, believed in family planning, if you will. I don't know. I Maybe. I don't know. I, I don't know about that. Um, her husband mm -hmm. traveled a great deal, and um, they she was alone a lot raising the family. I think her father bought her the house in Seneca Falls to live in because her father and, and and it was in her name. Uh, mm -hmm. her, her. My understanding was that uh, Elizabeth was from Johnstown. She met Henry, and I'm not sure where he was from, actually. But they then, uh, at, after living in Johnstown a while, they moved to the Boston area. And then they moved, as you say, to uh, Seneca Falls. Was that the main one of the main reasons? they? I wonder if they, they had that uh, women's uh, convention in 1848 in Seneca Falls. I wonder if it was just luck or it was planned that way because she was living there. Elizabeth met people in Boston and she, they, they, when they were married, they went to Europe and um, to a convention. That's one of the reasons they got married when they did because she wanted to go to the abolition, uh, abolitionist convention in, in, in uh, England. And so they got married, and that that was their honeymoon. They went to they went to England, and um, the women weren't allowed to be seated at the convention. They had to sit behind a curtain, and they weren't allowed to speak. And her husband wouldn't was not supportive of the <laughs> of her. <laughs> there were other men that were supportive of the women, but her husband was not. And I believe that was kind of an ongoing maybe dispute in their uh, in their marriage through the years, but they they stuck it out. Right. And they, they came back and lived, in, they did live in Boston. And um, I think Henry had ideas that he would make a career in Boston. But I think, you know, I think maybe he was a small fish in a big pond. And so then they moved to Seneca Falls. And her, her dad actually paid for that house in Seneca Falls. Mm -hmm. I don't think Henry had a lot of And then of money. she was introduced to Susan B. Anthony, I believe it was in 1851, and that was sort of monumental in the lives of both women. Yes. They hit it off. They hit it off and made it a tremendous partnership. Susan actually taught in Canajoharie. She taught school in Canajoharie. And, um, and, and she wasn't at the first convention. Elizabeth had the first convention with Lucretia Mott and some other ladies that lived lived near Seneca Falls, um, and Susan was not part of that. And as the movement you know, for women's rights was, was growing after the Civil War, there was an incident in which 
Elizabeth and Susan B. Anthony, um, they didn't derail the movement by any means, but they declined to support passage of the amendments to the Constitution, the U.S. Constitution, which gave the uh, right of citizenship and the right to vote uh, to uh, American, African-American males. And the idea was they that Elizabeth opposed that, saying uh, that would give added legal protection and voting rights to African-American men, while women, black and white, were denied those same rights. But that was an unpopular stand on the part of Elizabeth and Susan B. Anthony, I believe, at the time. Right. They well, they I guess they both worked to get the vote for every for the black men and women and the white women, and they thought it would all pass at the same time. And when it came down to it, they just it went through just for the black men. And and Elizabeth and Susan were very disappointed and and felt they couldn't support it. And Elizabeth also had uh, strong views, for example, on religion. Uh, she. Uh, it was had criticism of organized uh, Christianity. In fact, she was writing all through this period, uh, and sh- she wrote a book called The Women's Bible. She did. <laughs> she did. <laughs> well, she felt that the Bible was very male oriented, and and the women, the women, the women, like you, well, you know, in churches and things for a long time, there could be no women ministers or priests. There still aren't any, but. Um, the Bible is very oriented to the, to males, and so she wrote a woman's version. <laughs> Another one of her books was her own autobiography, Eighty Years and More. Yes, that's quite that's quite a lengthy book. It's it's now on. Actually, I think the University of Pennsylvania has it on um, has it on on the computer, and you can you can log into their website and read the book. Or look up things. We're talking with uh, Sandy Maseka of the Elizabeth uh, Cady Stanton uh, Consortium up in um, uh, Johnstown. And we're talking about the life of Elizabeth Cady Stanton and also a fundraising campaign they've got underway to build a statue. I was interested in the, you know, the online uh, account. Again, it was, was Wikipedia uh, talking about the interactions between Elizabeth and Susan, Elizabeth, uh, Katie Stanton and Susan B. Anthony, that I gathered that in their later years, uh, when maybe when she was still raising children, Susan B. Anthony uh, would come to stay uh, with uh, Elizabeth. And while she was there, she maybe took care of the kids so that Elizabeth could write. They kind of had a uh, symbiotic uh, relationship there. Right. That's right. She did. And and I think a lot of the reason that um, Susan gave the speeches because she could travel and give the speeches and Elizabeth was t- sort of tied to her family. She could stay home and write and she was very good at it, but she couldn't always travel and, and give the speeches. And uh, so uh, Susan... Elizabeth wrote the speeches and 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 Susan gave them. Mm. But she they did she did come to Johnstown a number of times and she stayed at a boarding house, just kind of across the street from the from the courthouse. Oh really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, also, I, I saw the uh, opinion uh, online that 
as they both got older, uh, Susan B. Anthony, as you hear happens as people get older, became more conservative, but Elizabeth Cady Stanton became more radical. Yes. <laughs> they, they did have a little falling out at one point, but they, but they remained friends till the end of their lives. As you say, um, Elizabeth lived a, a good number of years. She died in uh, 1902, and I think Susan B. Anthony lived a, a few more years herself, didn't she? Right, she did. I can't, five, five or six it, more years, yes. But neither one of them uh, was alive when the 20th Amendment was uh, adopted. No. no, they didn't live to see that happen. But that was their goal, that was one of what their you... big goals. That was a big goal, and and it was the, it came to fruition because they supported it and worked on it their whole lives. Otherwise, I don't think it would have ever happened, or it certainly wouldn't no. have happened even in 1920. In fact, there were some. I think both were both of them arrested at some point because with with the controversy over the amendments to the Constitution giving blacks the right to vote, uh, some said, "Well, look, you know, this it really gives us." Gives everybody the right to vote. And so at some point, uh, Elizabeth and Susan uh, went to vote and I, you know, were, uh, were charged. Uh, or was that just uh, Susan to whom that happened? She did that. She voted, I think, even, even before that. She, she, even before that passed, she, she voted in, in Rochester. And um, they came and arrested her and fined her. But she never had to stay in jail or... <laughs> or pay her fine, <laughs> but they came yep. to the house and re arrested her because she voted. Well, it certainly s sounds as if you have a, a great uh, regard for Elizabeth Cady Stanton. Can I just ask you in general about that? I mean, I, I think it sounds like she is uh, personally uh, for you uh, an inspiration. Well, yes, I think she's an inspiration for all women. I mean, she she did phenomenal things that women weren't even allowed to do at that time. I mean, we keep talking about having a woman president. I think if Elizabeth were alive, she would be it. <laughs> she's amazing. I mean, she Could grew be. up in this little town and she's, she did Well, Sandy Maseka, I, I thank you very much for joining us on the Historians uh, podcast. And um, let me just review what you're doing for the raising funds to uh, have the uh, Statue. Uh, just, just tell us that one more time. Where, where can people uh, send their donations? To the Elizabeth Cady Stanton Women's Consortium, or ECSWC, P.O. Box 251, Johnstown, New York, 12095. And it is tax deductible. Um, if they would like more information, they could email me. It's S. Maseka, S M A C E Y K A at FrontierNet.net. Ask Maseka at net. Well, again, Sandy Maseka, I thank you for being with us on the Historians uh, podcast, and good luck with the campaign for the statue of Elizabeth Cady Stanton. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Let's take a few minutes to talk about another figure from the 19th century who was a prominent uh, women's leader. Uh, in fact, uh, this isn't the one, woman I'm going to talk about right now, but uh, we have another recent podcast. It was episode 244 about suffragist uh, Matilda Jocelyn Gage, Matilda Jocelyn Gage, uh, who came from Fayetteville, 
uh, in upstate New York. And there's a new book out about her written by Angelica Shirley Carpenter. You can hear an interview with uh, Angelica Shirley Carpenter uh, right here on the Historian's podcast. It's episode 244. But the woman I wanted to talk about, Amsterdam woman was a pioneer union leader. An Irish immigrant woman became a leader in the fledgling union movement while living in Amsterdam in the 19th century. Leonora Kearney was born in 1849 in Cork, Ireland. Her parents, John and Honor Kearney, fled the Irish potato famine and settled in Pierpont in northern New York, where her father worked a farm. When Leonora was in her early teens, her mother died. Her father married a woman a few years older than his daughter, and the two women did not get along. Leonora took lessons from the head of the Colton Girls' School and earned a teaching certificate at age 16. Leonora taught school for seven years. In 1871, she married a house painter and musician, William Barry, who lived in Potsdam. William, too, was born in Ireland and came to Canada when he was young. He served nine years in the British Army, including assignments in Gibraltar and the Mediterranean. The Berries moved from town to town seeking work. They settled on Amsterdam's Voorhees Street with their three children. William Barry died in April 1881. The obituary of the 38-year-old said he had suffered lung ailments for two years. He was a well-known musician and composer who led the Amsterdam Cornet Band and played in the popular 13th Brigade Band. The Barry's three-year-old daughter also died in 1881. Now a widow with two young sons, Leonora could not go back to teaching because only single women were acceptable candidates for teaching positions. Instead, she went to work at Pioneer Hosiery, one of Amsterdam's many knitting mills. It was located on the south side of 31 Main Street between Market and Church Streets. Barry wrote, day after day, I sat sewing men's trousers for five cents a dozen. In 1884, Barry joined a women's branch of the Knights of Labor in Amsterdam. There was a knitting mill strike and management lockout of the union in 1886. The mill owners eventually prevailed in ousting the Knights, at least temporarily. In 1886, Barry attended a Knights of Labor convention in Richmond, Virginia, and was named to the new Department of Women's Work. Leaving her children with relatives, she traveled the country. In 1888, at the request of Susan B. Anthony, Leonora Barry spoke to the 40th anniversary of the Seneca Falls Convention for Women. That event was held in Washington, D.C. In 1890, Leonora married Obadiah Reed Lake, a printer from St. Louis. Known as Mother Lake at the end of her career, she was popular on the lecture circuit as an advocate for temperance and for women's rights. She was alive in 1920 when women gained the right to vote I presume that she did, and Leonora Berry Lake died in 1923. 
Former Montgomery County historian Jacqueline Murphy was instrumental in researching uh, this piece and also in uh, getting an historical marker honoring Barry uh, that's now placed at the east end of the Riverfront Center in uh, downtown Amsterdam. It was installed in 1998 uh, near where, as Leonora Barry, she worked in a knitting mill. You've been listening to The Historian's Podcast. I'm Bob Cudmore.